Hey everybody, I'm Derek, this is Logan, and we're the Show Guys. Come join us as we put pop culture under the microscope. Gather round, ye Show Guys listeners. Court is in session, and the sentence is to listen to our discussion about part six of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. As we continue this journey through one of our favorite shows of all time, and maybe our favorite manga of all time. That's to be determined. Logan, what do you have in store for us today? Oh, I tell you what, Derek, this is an exciting episode. And it's a really fascinating one as well. So coming after the absolute monster that was part five, Vento Oreo, JoJo's sixth part, Stone Ocean, you know, it had a lot to live up to. It's going to be the first story arc of the new millennium. You know, like I said, Araki had a lot to live up to after how terrific part five was. And even though we don't necessarily think it's better than the previous story arc, it's still more than deserving of the Jojo mantle. You could almost say that it's the most underrated part of the entire franchise. And a lot of people weren't exactly familiar with it worldwide until the anime started to come out. And speaking of the anime, we're only going to talk about the first batch of episodes for this season, both because they're the only ones out at this time of this recording, and because you have only seen this grouping and you haven't read the manga yet. I will say I have, and it's splendid the way it keeps going. But first of all, we have to start with our protagonist, Jolene Cujo, an excellent protagonist. She's Jotaro's daughter, so she's already got the heroic DNA down when the story immediately starts. And even during these first couple of story arcs, she undergoes some great development as the story continues. One thing that's really cool is to see a female protagonist in a battle-oriented manga. And keep in mind that Stone Ocean first came out in 2000, when a lot of fighting manga were still being dominated, mostly by male casts. And also keep in mind that this is only about five years after Dragon Ball finished and Naruto had only started its run in 1999. And uh, for the record for our audience, we will not be covering that particular franchise on this show now or ever. Anyway, (laughs) 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 your your first thoughts on Jolene so far, my friend. (laughs) So here's the thing. Like you said, I've only seen this grouping of released episodes and I haven't looked too far into the future of what happens with the story. Here's the thing with Jolene. She's a lot like Jotaro in most respects in terms of the abrasiveness and the kind of the doesn't take any crap from anyone. And that's what I like about her. And like you said, one thing that we haven't been able to really talk about until now is the female lead, like you mentioned. The fact that Araki was like, you know what? Let's make this a female, and boom, she's in a battle-oriented manga. That's huge. Because what it does now is it gives people another reason to be connected to the JoJo universe. Whether that be, I'm tired of all the muscly, swole dudes, which, I mean, how could you get tired of that? But I digress. (laughs) (laughs) But it gives kind of a different take on the hero. And that's one thing I appreciate about it. And Jolene's cool. Her style design, the way that David production color, the color palette for part six is one of the most pleasant to look at. 
greens, the blacks, the purples, like it almost kind of reminds me of Morio in a type of aspect. I'm excited for the next couple of episodes. No, I think all your points are uh, really terrific. Uh, I was reading on the manga when I was doing a bit of research and evidently Araki's editor at the time, when he was first formulating it, he said to Araki, look, can you make Jolene a male? Because Weekly Shonen Jump, the manga magazine that Araki was publishing with at the time, their readership really, and I'm not sure if it still does, but at the time in the early 2000s, it really skewed towards teenage male manga fans. So Araki's editor didn't really think that having Jolene as the main character would work given the readership. But Araki said, no, that's the exact reason why our protagonist for the story arc has to be a woman. And so (laughs) it's not only that, you not only have Araki just coming up with another brilliant idea as he is wont to do, but according to the wiki, Jolene was also kind of written as an apology by Araki because for the longest time, he didn't think he was able to draw women particularly well. And he's even said that his last manga with a woman protagonist, which was Gorgeous Irene from back in the mid 80s, he didn't think that was really well written or well drawn. So You know, it's interesting how Araki, he didn't think he could draw women for a long time. So he kind of avoided drawing them or including them in a whole lot of the stories. So to really see him work against this weakness, it really shows that not only was he able to answer the challenge, answer the bell, but not only that, but excel it. I mean, it's just another point in his favor as as the GOAT, you know, it really is. And it's crazy because he's drawn women before in his manga. Like you have Irene, Granny Irene, you know, you have <laughs> Susie Q, you have Lisa Lisa, like you have very well-written and very well-drawn characters. But to think that that's your fault and that's why you can't do it. That's crazy because I'm over here like, dude, this is, I can't do it. So why is this a problem? But he's just masterful in his craft. I agree. And it's so cool to see. He's kind of said in different interviews that by the time he got to the end of the entire story arc and everything, he really thought that he had probably reached his peak as an artist and a writer and things like that. And just to see the evolution of how his art has changed, not only in the manga, but to see how David Productions actually adapted it and showed the art style changes is really, really, really one of the most awesome things about the series to see the art evolution. Right. And I think, I think that's a pretty valid statement of his because I think, and we'll talk about it next episode with part seven, part six is where you really get the finesse of his art style from part five. You have it developing to what it is, but it's still a little rugged. It's still sharp, uh, not as smooth, But I think part six is when you see it's so clean and it is very, very intricate to look at. Also, just seeing the Joestar group in this part and seeing all the different color patterns and contrasts and things like that, that he chose when actually giving color to some of the different characters. It's fascinating to see how much of a contrast it is from Team Bucciarati from part five. If you look at the two of them and just picture them just side by side. I mean, the color difference between the two of them is so awesome just to look at just from an Mm -hmm. aesthetic standpoint. It's really, really cool. Just the art differences in general are fascinating to see unfold. Aside from the characters, we also want to give a shout out in the anime version, major props to 
Jolene's Japanese and English voice actresses, Farus Ai, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, and Kira Buckland, respectively. Evidently, they both had dreams of voicing Jolene someday, and they've both fulfilled that dream wonderfully. So, once again, this is a franchise that helps make dreams come true. <laughs> I mean, you can't go wrong with that. I wish... That's my one wish before I die is to be able to voice a JoJo character. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be like, okay, that's it. Yeah. That's all I need. <laughs> die happy after that. Oh man. But kind of continuing on, what do you think of stone free Jolene's stand? How do you like that as a stand? So I like that it's not overpowered right at the beginning of the show. Uh, one thing that you kind of notice with the previous parts, and we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but Star Platinum strong it's basically undefeatable to a certain extent you know you get the whole part i would say that golden experience even golden experience requiem is the strongest stand in the jojo universe uh, just because the immense power that it provides so what i appreciate about jolene standstone free the way she uses it and utilizes it is very effective and efficient without being completely like like i said overpowering at the start like she's like, what is this? And it takes her a minute to kind of understand what her power is rather than Jotaro being locked in prison, being like, hey, there's this there's this guy and he does things for me, like gets me beer and cigarettes. <laughs> so that's one thing I do appreciate. And the design is so cool. Like the blue unraveling string like substance is it's just a cool design. And it just goes to show like how Araki designs his stands. Each one is so unique. And he's taken the time to make sure that no two stands are very similar. I know he had the world in Star Platinum. That's that's an argument for a different time. But in the entirety of the Jojo universe, I don't think you get two stands that are the same. I think that's a great way of putting it. And like you said, the subtlety with which Jolene is able to use it. Like in the first episode, when she uses it to rescue armies and she doesn't just blast the armored car that's carrying armies away or anything like that. It's a fascinating contrast with how Star Platinum operates. But at the same time, much like Giorno, <laughs> Jolene's stand cry is inherited from dear old dad with the Aura Auras. So that's just, just a wonderful again, nod to continuity that Araki is so great at throwing in. So that in itself is awesome. That kind of leads me into my next question for you. We do see Jotaro's return again in this part. <laughs> yeah. And we see actually see his abilities being benched for a long time. What did you think about that development? Okay, so a couple things here. Jotaro's design in this part isn't my favorite. I'll just go ahead and say that. I would agree. The way that the green and purple mix on his clothing and such, I I don't know. I'm not I'm not sold on it uh, just because it's I don't, I don't I don't know what it is. It just it's just not satisfying that artistic visual that I want to see. But I like that he's kind of benched in this part because it's the passing of the torch. Whereas part 3 it was all Jotaro. Part 4 ultimately ended with Jotaro kind of saving Morio, because if he wouldn't have stopped the time, Kira would have survived and all that mess. But here it's finally saying, okay, Jotaro is important, but 
Jolene is the main character. There's no doubt about it. She's the one that's going to take charge. And he goes from main character to the mentor character of part four to now. He's kind of the MacGuffin of the part because of what happens to him. And that's one thing that Araki does really well is he turns someone that was so respected and so much like a center or a focal point of a show or a story. And he's made it to where that's the purpose of savior now. And that is one thing I'm really excited to see moving forward is what initially or what inevitably ends up happening to him or to the gang of this part, which what this part is awesome because the group itself is so different and it's really dominated by women voice actors. And we go back on that whole theme again. You have finally a strong set of female leads that's going to do a lot for the anime community, I think. No, I agree. I think that's a really good way of pointing it out. And one of the best things about this Joestar group in particular is just how diverse they are with regards to character. Sometimes in some of the Joestar groups of the past, yeah, everybody kind of had their own character and things like that. But this part in particular, you really see a wide range of differences among the different Joestar group members. I mean, the cast itself is just terrific. And like you said, everybody does great voice acting wise. We First of all, we've got Hermes, who is the first friend that Jolene meets on her way to Green Dolphin Street Prison for a crime that she didn't commit. And she kind of acts like the speed wagon of this part, because a lot of the time she'll be commenting on the fights going on around her. <laughs> which is great, <laughs> but she's awesome. And then, of course, Weather Report, who is kind of a silent stand user who can, guess what, control the weather. <laughs> what a novel concept. And yet you don't seem entirely surprised when, when something like this happened. He doesn't get a ton of screen time during the early episodes and chapters, but he, he's going to get some awesome plot lines later in the series. I can say that much. And a big highlight for him is when he and Jolene fight against this convict called Lang Wrangler, who has a stand that can control gravity and do different things with that. I mean, it's an awesome battle. What did you think of some of the stand battles kind of in general? Yeah, so the initial battle, I guess you could say with the stand, is when Jolene fights, I lost her name, the one that can make people small and fits uh, them into like the animal Gwes. skins. Quest, yes. You kind of get that. That was crazy because <laughs> you see Jolene and a rat Ugh. and trying to, like, it's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. And then you have Hermes, which I, I thought the way that her attitude and the way she presents herself is so cool. But I love Weather Report. I'm, he's probably my favorite right now. His stand at the end. And we've talked about this before, how we have spoilers in our episodes. The fight between him and Lang Wrangler ends up to him raining frogs everywhere. It's so crazy. It is so crazy. You're just, but they're poisonous, like poison dart frogs raining down from the sky. And that's his, dude, that is incredible. That's an awesome power to have. Completely crazy. But when I saw that, I was sold. I was like, this guy is amazing. I can't wait to see more of him. Then you have Foo Fighter. You take that because, oof. 
<laughs> Foo Fighter or FF as is known in the dub, because let's be honest, they really probably couldn't afford the rights on that one. She fulfills the role of the quirky comic relief character, and she does it really well because she's both a stand and a being composed entirely of plankton. And so she constantly has to drink water. So she's extremely protective of her water cup and will threaten to beat up anybody who gets near it, which is a great source of the comedy. It's awesome. <laughs> then we have Emporio. Emporio El Nino, the young lad. He's the one that, if I remember right, like I said, I haven't read it. I've watched the parts. I'm kind of I'm still new to this part. <laughs> he's the kid with the baseball outfit. Yeah, and the Cubs Correct? uniform. Okay. Yeah, also floating around in the walls of the prison. <laughs> just, I remember it's so when I crazy. I remember when I first read the chapter with his stand in it and how it, he explains it that it's like a, a room that is a ghost or something like that. I had to read that a couple of times, but then I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah sure. You sometimes forget that this is a series where you don't ask questions you because yeah. any questions you have are probably not going to get answered. They're just won't. <laughs> yeah. We're getting to the point of Iraqi's writing to where you just take it for what it is. I mean, that should have started in part three, but this is when you kind of sit there and go, you know what? This is happening. Oh, well. <laughs> and, oh, and, well. and we are here for it. Oh, oh well, and we are here for it. No question about it. Jeez. And I'm just so excited for the next group of episodes because then we're going to see the introduction of kind of the last member of the Joe Star group, Anaswi, or I think it'll be called Anakis in the English tub, which will cover him more in depth for our second part of this arc. But he's essentially insane. And he's the one that looks yeah. like Diablo, right? Yeah, actually. Evidently, there's a fan theory out there that the entire arc, the whole story arc, is just another one of Diavolo's deaths. (laughs) (laughs) That would be amazing. Don't do that to me, Rocky, but that would be funny. (laughs) That would be so amazing. What a joke that it would be to just... God. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess we haven't ran into Anakis or Inasui. Yeah. Anakis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's over Anakis. I'm sorry. I had to. I had to. <laughs> that was perfect, though. That was great. Uh, <laughs> so that leads us into our actual villain. Oh, Can we man. talk about him real quick? Because Poochie. Poochie. What's this religious hoopla that Poochie <laughs> is? <laughs> oh man, it's it's so hard to he is genuinely, and when we when we find out his backstory and everything. He is genuinely one of the best, well-written antagonists that Iraqis come up with. Mm-hmm. But I just want to know, the first time when you actually saw that flashback of him and showing his friendship with Dio, what were your thoughts on that? So I think I, I remember messaging you about this. One thing that Iraqi that I love that he did for this was that he made it to where Dio is an influence, but he's not the main villain. You know, so we had part one Dio, then part two is Battle Tendency, and that was Cars and the Pillarmen. Part three was Dio on Jonathan's body. Part four, Dio influenced the arrow kind of, but nothing directly affected him. And then part five, you don't really talk about Dio besides Giorno. And then part six is like, oh, there's Dio, but 
he's not the villain. And that is incredible. And the way that he influenced Poochie was just, it was awesome to see. It was very well written. Poochie's, I hate him, but I love that I hate him because he's written so well. I think that's a great way to summarize it. And it's kind of like what I was, kind of like what we were talking about earlier because he's friends with Dio. So we've got an automatic proven dynamic between the two sides that Araki uses to really great effect in this part. And Dio himself, like you said, he only really shows up in flashbacks, but you can really sense his presence like all throughout the arc. Kind of like what we were talking about that one time. It's like in Lord of the Rings. We never physically see Sauron, but we feel his presence throughout the entirety of the story. And that kind of segues into our next point. It's a pretty slow burn of a story, but it unfolds really well. Early on, Jotaro's stand and his spirit get captured by Pucci, and this gives Jolene her main motivation for the arc. So the stakes are actually really personal this time, kind of like part three, but I think amped up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on how everything's just kind of folded out so far, plot-wise and pacing-wise? So I think it's paced really well. But Araki's always been masterful on his pacing. I would say part four is the most, is the slowest of all the parts. But even then, the pacing works for that part because it is a, it's almost like a slice of life if Araki wrote a slice of life anime. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the development on this was very well done because I think they said there's going to be a total of what, 36 episodes? Something like that. So we're already 13 in. So the next one should be the majority of the conflict and the rising of the hatred towards Poochie. So I'm glad that we got to the main problem pretty early on. Whereas some animes, it waits until season three or four before we get to any real meat of the show. Insert my Hero Academia reference here. We, which we will talk about at some point. Don't worry, listeners. Yeah, we will. But it, it, there's no slow parts to it, I think is my thing. I would agree definitely on that. And look, we get that Diamond is Unbreakable is the sentimental choice of story arc for a lot of people. Araki himself. We genuinely get it. We really do. But as far as the two of us are concerned, when it comes to the story arcs that are more stationary between Diamond is a Breakable and Stone Ocean, we would probably have to go with Stone Ocean. Like you said, the pacing for part four is much more of a slice of life thing. And again, there's nothing wrong with it. With Stone Ocean, it just feels like it just gets exciting at an earlier moment, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and plus it just the opening act for it is just terrific you know i mean it really draws you in like crazy and i love the fact that it kind of shows you and i'm gonna get gonna get a little political here not i'm not really but the corruption i love that iraqi adds in corruption of the justice system because it is a real thing you know you see it everywhere i love that he's adding in those small little themes of corrupt lawyers or dirty cops you know it's it's cool to see it's cool to see how he does it i think that's a terrific terrific point just all around he shows no signs of creative fatigue or Mm. slowing down we're working on his sixth story arc for this franchise really think about that 
I feel like I would probably be <laughs> running out of steam by the sixth part. The man's well is amazingly deep. And you can see it just throughout this arc. No question about it. Yeah. And that's really all we can really say right now, you know, just because we're waiting on the next batch of episodes. But with all that said, we cannot wait for our next episode because then we are going to be discussing part seven, Steel Ball Run. This was the story arc that we have been waiting to do for weeks and months now because of how much we enjoyed that plot line and those characters. We genuinely cannot wait to discuss it. So we're going to take a pause from part six and cover it again when the next batch of episodes come out. But for our next episode, it will be dedicated entirely to Steel Ball Run, arguably the greatest work that Araki has ever come up with, and without question, one of the greatest manga and comics ever produced. Any final thoughts, my friend? The story of Steel Ball Run is so good. <laughs> it's so good. I think that's the best we can put it. Next episode is going to be what we've all waited for as of right now. <laughs> so we hope to see you guys next week. Thank you all for joining in on our part one of Jolene Cujo in prison. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Show Guys podcast. You can find us on Spotify and where other podcasts are available. You can also follow us on social media at facebook.com slash showguys21 and instagram.com slash showguys21. The show's theme music is composed by DJ Mead. You can find his latest album, Mad World Reimagined, on Spotify and iTunes. Follow him on Facebook at DJ Mead Music 777. Thank you again for listening. Have a terrific day.